If you've got your Revival Times, you might just want to turn with me to the uh, page four, because we have the next series in the 2.30 service starting uh, next week. And I just want to, I mentioned earlier on this year about, we have a two-year preaching program that we have developed, and uh, we're going to be looking at that, especially at the, the 2.30, the 5, and the 7, and it may also be kicking in in the Sunday mornings as well. And the idea is, as we sat down, a number of us in the autumn, and we said to ourselves, you know, over a two-year period, what would we want our people to have ministered to them? What would we want our people to know in a period of two years? Because normally at the 5 and the 7 and the 2.30, and we, we sort of like, well, at the 2.30 and the 5, we sort of, we've sat down in the past and thought, what series shall we do next month? And sometimes we thought, we haven't done this for a while, or I look at the 5 o'clock and say, oh, maybe we should do this. And we sort of think, what shall we do? What would be, what would be good? But we're not sort of properly thinking over a period of a year or two years, the type of things we're covering and the type of things that we're not. So it's a little, it was a little bit haphazard, although, you know, very pleased with the way it went. And so we thought we would look and say, you know, we want our people over a period of a year, over two years, to be able to be strong in all the important areas in the Christian faith. And so we looked at a number of different sort of headings. And the first heading we looked at was doctrine, teaching. And we said to ourselves, what type of teaching over two years do we really want you to learn? And then after that, we, we looked at virtues, teaching. And then that, the other topics we looked at was virtues. In other words, Christian character, Things like, I don't know, integrity, love, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, servanthood, all these things about, you know, Christian virtues. So Christian doctrines, Christian virtues, and then finally, Christian practices. We think, well, what sort of Christian practices? Giving and praying and doing and evangelizing and the things that we do. So the things we believe, the things that we are, and the things that we do. And so over the course, and things, we've got a two-year plan, that doesn't mean we won't adjust it and look at it, but it's a good start, that we, that we look and we move often from one, from doctrine to a virtue, or, so that we cover these different aspects. And so we started in January with creation. And so at the 2.30 service, and also as a major theme in the 7 o'clock revival service, we've been looking at God as our creator, uh, I've been saying week after week, and I was able to do these 2.30 services because Dave Wellington at the moment, it's his last day today, has been doing interactive teaching on worship. And so over, over this period, we've been looking at Creator, and we've been saying, you know, everything you need to know about God comes under two headings, Creator and Redeemer. And we as Bible-believing Christians, we know God as our Redeemer. Thank God we got saved. We're believing for healing. And, and we're good on the Redeemer. But I hope those of you that have been coming in the last few weeks realize there's a lot that, we didn't, we, that people didn't understand about Creator. We tend to sit back and go, well, God created the world. Well, so what? And we've looked at the Psalms and the passages in the Scripture that show that again and again, God as Creator has a direct effect on our daily lives. That the psalmist, the creation psalms, one minute they're speaking about the greatness of the universe, the next minute they're speaking about provision in your daily life. 
and that understanding creation means that we know that God is creator and sustainer and provider of all things. That the big things, the galaxies, and the small things, the microscopic organisms, God is interested in the big and the small. In fact, he's as interested in the small microscopic things as he is in the big things. And therefore, he's interested in your life and he's Lord of your life. And no one can tell, not even his creation can tell him what to do. And we've been looking at various aspects of that. And so next month, we're going to go back to having different preachers uh, coming. Um, and we are going to be coming out of this doctrine, creator. Now, we are going to, from next week, be speaking on the topic, the Father cares for you. And we're really going to see about how God cares for us and what that means in our daily lives, that God cares for us. So that comes directly out of our understanding that he's creator and he cares. And so next week we'll be looking at the Father cares for all. Uh, he doesn't just care for Christians, you know. He cares for everybody. The sun shines on the saint and the sinner, doesn't it? Uh, God, every breath anybody takes, even the atheist, every breath they take is a blessing from God. And God cares for people that aren't yet saved. And, uh, you know, God will heal the sick, whether they're Christian or not. And so next week... We're going to encourage you and say, God does care for people. Everything and everybody God cares for. So there's hope for your unsaved loved ones. God is at work in your workplace right now. Not just in the Christians in the workplace, but in the workplace. We're going to have a look at God caring for everybody, even when they don't care for him. Then after that, we'll be coming into God cares for you and looking at, hey, but you're in covenant with God. What does it mean to be in covenant relationship with God and his care? And then casting all your care on the Father. That's, going, that's a real faith message saying, hey, how do you walk casting your care on the Father? Jesus said, hey, look at the birds. They get fed. How much more does your Father love you? How can you, by worrying, add one moment to your life? Trust in the Father. Trust in, what does it mean to trust in God's care when you're concerned or worried or under a test? And then finally, the Father cares through you. A lot of what we get from God's care, or, or, or should get from God's care, comes from other people, doesn't it? I mean, this is what sales church is all about and strengthening our friendships. That when you're in a time of need, it's not just you and God. But I hope you've got people around you, Christians, that God can care for you through. I wonder how many times it's been that God has just touched you, cared for you, even provided for you. He's done it, but through someone else. And I wonder how many times God has used you, used you, and cared for someone through you by the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to be doing at the 5. And you'll notice that the, uh, sorry, at the 2.30, and you'll notice at the 5 o'clock that there is a, uh, because this is all moving together, the 5 o'clock teaching service is on a very similar theme, only it's a little bit more Bible teaching. It's called the providence of God, recognizing the guiding and providing hand of your Father in your life. The providence of God was one of the best-known teachings of the Bible in the Victorian times. I mean, the, the Victorian believers are always talking about God's providence in their lives. And even in New York, they would name islands after Providence. Providence Island. I think they've changed its name to something else now, haven't they? But Providence Island. Providence. 
Girls were called providence, 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 providence. You know, oh, for God's providence. And today, I wonder how many sitting here today, if I said, could you explain to me what the providence of God means, whether you'd have a clue about it. But it's one of the most important doctrines. And, it, and providence means provides. And it talks about how God in his providence, provides and cares and guides for us all. Anyway, uh, there's there, and, and Artie Kendall is going to finish that series with a special word there. So I'm just letting you know. Oh, and then the next month, just to give you a feel, because there's no point having a program and not, you know, bigging it up. And then out of that, the 2.30 service not uh, in March, that's going to come out of God's care and out of God's creative power. And, and the title of that series is going to be Prayer That Gets Results. Remember the practices, Christian practices? And so prayer that gets results. And in that month, we're going to show you and teach you prayer that will drastically change situations that you are in. Prayer that gets results. Well, Anyway, we are in our last in this series, and it's great to see those that are going to be baptized very soon. You look very dry, but soon you're going to be very wet and anointed with God's glory. And I know you've been prayed for. I'm going to pray for you again. Gabriel's going to lead that section. But I'm going to finish. I want to speak today in the theme of creation on the topic of the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview. The last topic in this was God cares for you, but that's going to run into the next series, so I don't need to teach that. But I want to sum up the importance of God being creator and also the Christian's worldview. You say, what do you mean by worldview? I mean, how do we view the world through the eyes of Scripture? I mean, when you look at history, when, you look in, when you're watching the news, how do you respond to what you're watching? How do you understand what you're watching? What do you think God's part is in what you're watching and the devil's part and, and how do you work it all out? What about things in your life when good things happen? It's quite easy to understand, isn't it? But what about when terrible, awful things happen to you or happen to your friend and you plunge, friends or family, and you plunge into this situation where something so awful has taken place and you're going, how do I deal with this? How do I understand this? How do I cope with this? I mean, I've been, yesterday, I had terrible news, heartbreaking news. Somebody that's almost like a daughter to us. Uh, she's been pregnant and, and she was going to give birth two, in two weeks' time. And we've been with her almost on a weekly basis because she helps us look after my daughter. And we've been with her throughout this whole pregnancy. And, and then Saturday, I get the news, the baby's died. I know. And so we're going to be with her tomorrow and go to the hospital. And um, what do you do? How do you even begin to stabilize yourself, let alone others, when this news hits you? And you go, what is wrong with this world? And perhaps when something like that happens, what is wrong with God? What is wrong with us? How do we view the world, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, how do we understand it? Well, you need a Christian worldview. This is one of the most important things. We need to teach our children the Christian worldview and so that when things happen, whatever happens, you can say, how do I view this as a Christian in order to cope with it? And all you need is three headings. 
And these three headings will allow you to make sense of everything to a certain degree. Some things always remain a mystery, but will allow you at least to figure out how does this work according to the Bible. And these are the three headings. Creation is the first heading. You've got to understand creation and your creator. Second heading, the fall. The fall. What happened to the creation when Adam and Eve fell? What happened? What changed? So creation, number one. The fall. And then finally, redemption, salvation. We have fallen. The world has fallen. But is God going to leave it fallen forever? Or has God sent his son to fix things? And, and how is it going to be fixed? And, and, and if you have these headings, then you can look at what's going on. And you can begin, at least, to begin to say, creation, fall, redemption. These three headings will help you understand what's going on in your life, what's going on in the world, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So let's start with the first heading, which is the theme of this month, creator and creation. So I'm just going to go through some simple things because I'm just giving you a simple template to view the world with. So let's go over some ground that's common to us all. But remember, we're looking at this and we're thinking about our worldview, how we understand what's going on. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be. I'm just reaffirming what we already know, but in a stronger way today. God created everything. God has created everything and he hasn't just created it like a watchmaker might create a watch, wind it up, put it down, and walk away. God is not a divine watchmaker. No, God created the world, but at every moment of this universe's existence, God is intimately involved behind and upholding everything that's going on in the world. Do you understand that? He's not walked away. He's in, without his power, the tiniest cell in your body cannot survive another moment. God is behind all life. And remember what I've taught you. God is sustaining life. If God stops to sustaining my life for a moment, I'd fall down dead. I am not, creation does not operate on its own. You hear what I'm saying? That's why you know that God is intimately involved in everything. Well, you're saying what? Well, is he intimately involved in what just happened to that dear girl that's so close to you? Yes. Yes, he is. Because that's the doctrine of creation I've been teaching you. Not a sparrow falls to the ground without God's knowledge. Well, you say, but the tragic thing that you've just spoken about will come to that. But you see, this is where the doctrine of creation gets right in your face. It's not some, oh yeah, God created, who cares? We know that in the beginning... In John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. And that in the beginning means before the beginning. Before the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that was created was created through the Word. There was nothing created apart from the Word. And that Word became 
flesh. That's John chapter 1 in a nutshell, isn't it? Jesus, pre-existence, the eternal word, created everything. And therefore, not just God, but the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself is the ruler of the universe. Jesus himself is intimately involved with everything that happens in his universe. And Jesus himself came to the earth and was made flesh. He understands what we're going through. He's not a God that's far off, that, that, that doesn't understand what it's like to walk on planet Earth, doesn't understand what it's like to be thirsty, doesn't know, understand what it's like to lose a loved one. He lost a loved one, Lazarus, and wept, even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Jesus, fully human, but fully creator God. We know that Hebrews tells us in chapter 1, verse 12, Hebrews 1, verse 12, Oh, sorry, Hebrews 1, verse uh, 1 and 2, sorry. God, Hebrews 1, 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. He has in his last days spoken to us by his Son, who he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world's who being the brightness of his glory and the express images of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. You see, God did not just create, but he upholds, he sustains, he looks after, he's involved. He hasn't gone somewhere else. Not only that, but Genesis 1 verse 31. Genesis 1 verse 31. Having gone through all there, let there be. And last week we spoke about the power, didn't we? Of the voice, the power of the creative word. And how we are made in God's image because we have language. And God's word in our mouth is as powerful as God's word in his mouth. Genesis 1 verse 31. After all of this creation, it says that God looked at the creation and it was not just good. God said, this is very good. Now, it's one thing when God says good. But when God looks at something and says very good. I mean, when God is impressed with a very, very good, then you know it was good. Now, this is so important for us to, in our worldview, that when God created the universe, it was good. God did not create the universe like it is right now. Something's happened. We'll come to that. And this is so important because so many people, when disaster or pain or suffering takes place both in the church and outside the church. I know the questions I'm going to be needed to be dealing with in the next few weeks. It's like, how could God create the universe like this? How could God not only create the universe like this with death and dying and sickness and pain and war and evil? How could God create it? And then how could God allow these things to happen? I've been teaching that God is totally in control of the whole world and he sustains it. He provides for it. He cares for it. We're going into these topics next month. He's looking after it. And God is good. Why? Because he's the creator. And God is good. Why? Because he's the provider. And then something happens that seems to be the opposite. And people say, God is good? You're telling me that God is the creator? Have you had a look at what's going on in creation right now? 
tsunamis, destructions. You know, I don't have to catalogue all the evils in the earth. And you're telling me that the word that was made flesh created this world and this bad thing has just happened to me and my friend. Well, I'll tell you what, if that's your God, I don't want to know him. Because that's an evil God to put people through such things. He's created the world such a nasty place. That's what they say. And not only is it a nasty place, he allows nasty things to take place. Isn't that true? And when we face in our, our lives things like I just mentioned to you, and it happens to us in different ways and at different levels, sometimes as believers, we've got to have no... God, are you Lord or what? How could you allow this to happen? You're meant to be sustainer and provider and carer. Look what's happening. And we, we don't even know where to start. I'm not saying I've got all the answers for you today, but I've got a starting point for you. Well, the starting point is this. This was not as God created it. When God created the universe, was there any sickness in it when he said, this is very good? There was no sickness. God didn't go, okay, I'll put Adam and Eve and they're going to multiply and I'm going to give them cancer. I'm going to give them sickness. I'm going to give them illness. I'm going to give them death. That's going to, oh, what a wonderful plan. That's, what, that's a beautiful plan for my creation. No. Death came into the world, into the universe through who? That's right. Our dad. No, there was no sickness, no dying. Nothing died, do you know that? Not, even, not one animal died. Not one bug died. Everything lived and lived and lived and lived. Everything was vegetarian. Everything was multiplying. There was no sickness. I mean, it was very, very good. I mean, if you were God, how would you create the world? Would you create it as it is? No, you wouldn't. Because you're made in his image. But if I was to say to you, create me a world then... You couldn't create it as wonderful and as good as God could. And he did. So the first thing we have to understand is that you cannot look at the fallen creation and say, this is the exact image of who God is. You have to say to people, this is not the way that God created it. God does not look at the world and say, very good. Do you know what God does when he looks at the world? He says, this is horrible. I mean, you, you can read this in the epistles of Paul. We have been translated from the kingdom of darkness. When God looks at the world, he says, this is an evil world. This is a fallen world. This is a world under the power of Satan and sin. When God looks at the, the world, he, do, he looks at it a bit like sometimes we do. Now, of course, when we come to the next uh, heading, fall, this is really important. Because God didn't create it like it is. It, there was no sickness, no dying, everything was good. Not just good, very good. But then, of course, we have the fall. I'm just going to read it to you. Genesis 3, 17. And you say, well, why is this in a creation series? Because the fall was not just a moral fall. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, Adam and Eve did something naughty. They did something sinful. And God punished them for this moral failure, and that was it. No, what Adam and Eve did when they rebelled against God did not just affect themselves, it affected the whole of the universe, the whole of the created order. 
Genesis 3. Verse, <clears throat> okay, sorry, go back a bit. Um, verse 9, Genesis 3, 9. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman blamed the serpent. He deceived me and I ate it. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed than all, more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go and on, you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. You see, something drastically changed. Some, something dra now we see pain coming into the world. We see death coming into the world. We see enmity, fighting battles, in humanity and with God's creation before the fall, there were, you could lie down with the, you could, the lamb could lie down with the lion, but now we see there is violence coming. And the whole of the world fell, was fallen. And what does that mean? It means from that moment, and whose fault was it? It was our fault in Adam. All the problems in the world, all the sufferings in the world, all the death in the world, all the sickness in the world, you want to know who's to blame? It's not God. We should all look in the mirror. It's us. It's our forefathers. And we all fell in Adam. That, that's, that's who did it. God gave us this world perfect and said, over to you. And we messed it up. Now, we see this also in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Notice how, before we talk about creation here, we're going to speak about suffering. Suffering. So it's interesting, creation and suffering. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Let me just stop a second. You see, he's talking about the suffering, isn't he? But he's, uh, he's already moving to the third heading, redemption, isn't he? Paul is saying, I'm aware of suffering. I'm not denying it. But thank God for the third heading we're coming to. This is going to be nothing. Whatever suffering has happened is going to be nothing, he said. Not even worthy. Not even worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. So right away, if I can just take a step off the... Right away, the things that's happening that I just mentioned to you in my sphere, in my life, and my friendships, you see that, the first thing I've got to realise is 
this, this is not the end. This, this child that died, it's not the end. And actually, and I'm going to come to it, actually one day, what's happened, we won't even, can't even stand comparison to the power and the glory of salvation that's going to take place. But anyway, that's for a few moments' time. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this fallen time, this broken time, are not worthy to be even compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption and into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. We were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we, we do not see, we eagerly, eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? It's an explanation of creation and, and that we're in a fallen world. That creation itself is groaning. Groaning. Under pain and labors and pain. The whole of creation is saying it wasn't meant to be like this. When the tiger eats the weak antelope, it wasn't meant to be like this. When the tsunami hits that island, creation is saying it wasn't meant to be like this. It's groaning, it's creaking. And God had subjected it because God had said, hey, if, if, if the man, if humankind that is the image of God has fallen, I can't allow the world not to fall with it. It would be inappropriate to have a fallen man in a perfect, it just, it just doesn't work. And anyway, it was man that brought the earth. into. So when we're seeing things that are happening, when we, we see people dying, everybody dies. Death is the most unnatural thing in the world. It's unnatural. It's unnatural to God. God never intended death. In fact, when Jesus died, he rose again. He conquered the greatest enemy. Death is, is unnatural. That's why we find it hard to take, because we shouldn't die. And guess what? If you believe in Jesus, though you die, you will remain alive. For the believer, the moment of death is actually a wonderful thing. Not for those around you, they feel your loss. They're still in the groaning, fallen world. But for the believer, the moment you die, what happens? It's a simple thing. Your spirit comes out of your body and goes to heaven. You're, you're, as, a, you're as conscious the moment after death as the moment before death. You're as conscious. You don't suddenly, oh, soul sleep. 
No, you're lying there and, and you're in this, and say you're an old person and you're dying of old age and you're creaking your bones and your pains and you're feeling all this. And then the moment you die, your spirit simply comes out of that painful body and all that leaves all that pain behind and goes straight into glory. Next moment, you walk in the streets of gold. See, that's what happens to a believer. And, but the rest of us are left with that painful body, now dead and needs to be buried. And, and, and we mourn and we groan. And we have pain because we're still here and we're left with it. I know where that child is. That child is no longer in that womb. That child is in the arms of the angels. And that child, from the child's perspective, I'm not saying I would say this to the family right now, you hear what I'm saying? To the child's perspective, that child has been spared much pain, much suffering in this life. You hear what I'm saying? From the child's perspective, these things are important. The fall, creation is subject to futility and frustration. The universe is in a continual cycle of birth, growth, death, decay. And this demonstrates the fallen world. The universe is in a process of deterioration. It all seems to be running down. Everything seems to be running out. Even the, our natural resources. How many, you know, it's all right for us. Oh, you're going to be all right 50, 60 years. How many centuries have we got left before this earth might be barren? Without resources, things are not being replenished. Things are running out, aren't they, in the creative order? Sooner or later, it's going to happen. Nature, like mankind, is in a state of decay, deterioration, pain, and futility. God did not do it. Now, if we just stay here, we've had it. If that's it, if there's creation, fall, and nothing else, then we got no hope. We got, we got no hope. We might as well give up right now if this, if this is the end of it. But it's not the end of it. You heard in that passage I read from Romans about the suffering. Paul said, this is nothing compared to what God's going to do in the future. You saw the brokenness of creation. And, and, and you know, you look at the world. The world's broken, isn't it? The world is broken. I defy, if you think the world is not, the world is broken. It's only by God's grace it still works as it's going. It's like a broken car that's just chugging along. And thank God, God is still behind us. Thank God there's still a chug. Because if God released judgment and not redemption, this whole thing would have burnt up long ago. And so this is why we still see the goodness of God, even in a fallen world and his grace. Because He's not left it, creation fall, but the final heading of our Christian worldview, redemption, salvation. God has set in motion a rescue plan, not just for fallen humanity, but for fallen creation. God is in the process of redeeming, renewing, and restoring that which we ruined. And, the, and guess who he starts with first? The pinnacle of creation, you. That's who he starts with. The rest of creation, I'm going to show you, is going to come. He starts with you. He starts with that which is made in his image. 
When he, when, when he had his plan, we're going to, the world has fallen, creation has fallen. Right, well, the angels were saying, where, where, where are we going to start our redeeming plan? Where are we going to start our saving plan? Where should we start? God said, we're going to start with the most important thing, the souls of men and women. That's where we'll start. And I don't need to preach the gospel to you today, although I am, I suppose. But God sent his only son. God knows what it's like to suffer loss. I'm already anticipating a question. Where was God in all of this that happened with my friend yesterday? Where, is, where, where was God? Someone maybe not there. She's a Christian, but somebody else. Where was God in this? I'll tell you where God was in this. He was hanging on the cross, dying, so that baby had somewhere to go. God no, understands death. He suffered it himself. He's, he lost his only child too. You hear what I'm saying? God was providing a way. This isn't the end. He sent his only son. And his son came in. And his son came with signs. And began to... He, he didn't make people sick. Jesus did not lay his hands on the well and make them sick. But this is what the problems people have when sickness comes into their life, even under death. They go, what sort of God does this? Not Jesus. Jesus does not lay hands on the, health and on their, on the healthy and make them sick. Jesus laid hands on the sick and made them well. He had power over sickness. Didn't make everybody well when he was on, on his ministry, but he made people well. He said, this is what I've come to do. This is on my heart, physical healing. He even wrote, raised people from the dead. When Jesus came, he didn't go and take food away from people and make them starve. No, he took food and multiplied it. He said, this is who I am. I am provider. And he came into a fallen world and began to minister redemption at every level, physical redemption. But most, of, most importantly, spiritual redemption. My son, your sins are forgiven you. Take up your bed and walk. And, but we know it was the beginning of a kingdom. It wasn't the all, it, wasn't, it was the start of the process, wasn't it? What well, happened before. And so the kingdom of God is within you. And so the kingdom of God has come into this world. And the kingdom brings hope. And the kingdom brings restoration. And the kingdom brings forgiveness. And the kingdom brings healing. And the kingdom brings hope. And the kingdom shows us that God has not allowed this fallen world to be abandoned. But he is in a process of most importantly redeeming people. But he's also showing us that he cares for our physical life. He died on the cross and rose again so that you, when you die, can rise again too. If he'd not done it, death would be the end for you. But God, God is not just taking us to heaven when we die. He's going to come back for our bodies and raise those up when he returns. And this is the process. So this is why we have hope. This is why, you know, when in 1 Thessalonians 4, and Paul says, do you know, I, want, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those that have died or fallen asleep. Why? Because we are not like those without hope. On the contrary. I, you know, I love what R.T. Kendall did. He wrote a tract, an evangelistic tract, that they would take out on the streets. Whenever he was in Westminster for those 25-odd years, whenever he, he was in London, every Saturday, he would personally be out there handing out these tracts. And in the tract, he sent this tract to be published. And in the tract, it had this statement. 
the message of the gospel or the message of Christianity is all about what happens when you die. And the publisher wrote back to him and said, I think we've, you've got this wrong, RT. You said that Christianity's message is all about what happens when you die, but surely you mean it's all about what God can do for you when you live. And RT said, no, you're wrong. Of course, God is there for you in the land of the living, but the message, the message is death and resurrection, isn't it? The message is a resurrection message. The message is when you die, it's not over. If you're a believer, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for you and rose again, you're saved. Death is not the end. It's but the beginning. You will rise again. You will be glorified. You will live forever. And finally, I just want to show you the end time goal, where we're going to head up. Because it's not just that God is going to save our souls, what he has, and, and that when we die, we'll go to heaven, and that one day our bodies will be raised, glorified, ma magnificent, and never able to die or, or be sick again. But let, let me show you where God's heading. And at times of great trial and distress, we have to see where we're going to end up to deal with the pains and the groanings of this fallen world where things do not work all the time like God wants them. Sometimes God intervenes. Sometimes God steps in. You say, well, why does God step in sometimes and not others? I don't know. Why, 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 did, why was Jericho destroyed by God, but all the other cities everybody else had to fight for? Why did he heal this person? And why did he heal one person by, by the pool? And not all of them. Why, why, why? I don't know why God does this and not that in this present order. I suppose because he can do whatever he wants. But in the end, whether he does it or not, I know where we're headed. I know where we're going. We've we got to see the bigger picture. Revelation 21, verse 1. <clears throat> the final redemption of all things. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first broken heaven and the first broken earth, if I can say that, has passed away and there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Now listen, here, here. This is God's plan. It's going to happen. Not yet, but it will. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. No more pain. For the former things have passed away. That's God. That's going to happen. And right now, we are in this situation, the now but not yet. And what do we do? We glorify him in the good days. And we glorify him in the bad days. We know we're in a battle zone, a war zone, a broken world. We're broken, the world's broken. But Jesus is fixing it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Gabriel.